Late that night, the disciples were in their boat in the middle of the lake, and Jesus was alone on the land. He saw that they were in serious trouble, rowing hard, struggling against the wind and the waves. And about three o'clock in the morning, Jesus came toward them, walking on the water. He intended to go past them, or as another translation puts it, to pass by them. But when they saw him walking on the water, they cried out in terror, thinking he was a ghost. They were all terrified when they saw him. But Jesus spoke up to them at once. Don't be afraid, he said. Take courage, I am here, or the I am is here. Then he climbed into the boat and the wind stopped. They were totally amazed, for they still didn't understand the significance of the miracle of the loaves. Their hearts were too hard to take it in. So let me summarize the story so far. They've just seen an amazing miracle. Jesus feeding the 5,000, starting with five loaves and two fish. As James shared with us last week, 5,000 men, probably 10,000 or more people. They've just cleared up and Jesus sends them off in the boat to go to the other side of the lake while he dismisses the crowd. So while Jesus is saying goodbye to the crowd, the disciples set off rowing. Trouble is, they're into a really strong headwind. And they're rowing hard and not getting anywhere very quickly. Now, these are not rowers like me, your park rower or your sort of, you know, daytime rower. These guys are professional fishermen. They know how to row. But they have been rowing and rowing and they're not getting very far. By three in the morning, having left at sort of early evening, by three in the morning they've gone about three miles and they're still in the middle of the lake. It's hard work and not much reward. And unlike the recent incident we read about where Jesus calms the storm in the lake, in that case, Jesus was in the boat with them. But this time, he's not there. He's back on the hill praying. They're on their own. And when Jesus comes to them, they don't recognize him. As we read, they're petrified. Recognizing people is really important, isn't it? Recognizing Jesus is really important. I don't know about you, have you ever been in a situation where you've been asked to go and pick somebody up from somewhere, maybe an airport or a railway station, uh, but you don't know them and you've got to go and find them and pick them up? When I worked in the chemical industry, that was quite a common thing. I had to go and pick up a customer or a colleague from abroad that, that I'd never met. And so the big question was, well, how will I know who you are? Amongst all the people that are arriving, how will I know it's you? Well, you've got several options I discovered over the years. I mean, you can go for the really boring option that makes you look like a taxi driver, which is what you actually are. If you're more creative, perhaps, you could arrange a welcoming committee that will stand out from the crowd. (laughs) Another one I found particularly useful was to ask the person you're meeting, could you wear something distinctive? (laughs) Well, of course, 
things move on, and what with us being very modern and all that, the easy answer these days is to just send a well-taken selfie, and then you can very easily work out who you're supposed to be picking up. I'll take that quickly off. <laughs> Recognizing who someone is is pretty important. And I've got three questions that I want to look quickly at today in the light of this passage, and, and here they are. First one is, who is Jesus? The second one is, who is struggling? If Jesus encourages the struggling, who's struggling? And the third one is, who is passing by? Who is Jesus, who's struggling, and who is passing by? Well, let's take the first one first. It's a very good place to start. The beginning, isn't it? Could write a song about that. Long before the days of selfies, we had the Bible. The Bible tells us about a God who made us, how because of our independence and rebellion, we, we kind of wrecked things. And it tells us about God's plan to put them right. God chose a people. He chose the Jews. And he just set his love on them, like we've been singing this morning. He just loved them for no reason. He put his love on them. And he said that they were going to be the people through whom God would bless the whole world. He told them to expect a Messiah, a rescuer, someone who would save them and change the game as far as God's was concerned for the whole world. And throughout the Old Testament, throughout the centuries, God not only promised that this Messiah would come, but he started to give clues about what he would be like. What would he be like? What would he do? God is answering the question that I was always asking. How will I recognize you when you come? How will I know it's you? The trouble was, of course, people reading the Old Testament, they got the idea that someone was coming, but some of them got fed up with waiting and decided it wasn't going to happen. Some of them read about some of the things that God said his Messiah would do, and they didn't fancy that, so they kind of ignored that bit. Some of them read about some of the things God said his Messiah would do, and they liked that, so we'll put that at the front. And not surprisingly, when Jesus actually arrives on the scene, there's controversy and there's argument. Jesus arrives and starts to do amazing things, miracles in nature, calming storms, turning water to wine, healing diseases, later on raising the dead. But actually in the Old Testament, other people had done things like that. God had worked through other people to do those things. Jesus' teaching had authority, unlike any one of his day. And he cast out demons. He had power. And the question starts to go around, who is Jesus? Is he a prophet? Is he a teacher? Is he an all-round good guy? Miracle worker? Who is Jesus? Is he the one? Is he the one that God said would come? And so the question goes round and round, and it's all the way through the Gospels. You can read it yourself. Who is Jesus? John the Baptist asked it. The crowds who listened to Jesus asked it. The religious authorities, those who really should have recognized Jesus, well, they asked it. They should have been the first to get it. The government authorities of the day asked it. The disciples asked it. Who is this man? 
Even the wind and the waves obey him. Who is he? And famously, of course, you might know, Jesus himself asked it. He says to the disciples, who do, who do men say I am? And then more pointedly, well, who do you say I am? That, my friends, is the $64,000 question. Probably the most significant, the deepest, the most profound question any of us can grapple with. And I'd suggest to you the most important question that any of us can seek to answer. Who is Jesus? Well, that might give us a clue as to the next question that I'd like us to look at, which is, well, who's struggling? If Jesus encourages those who are struggling, who's struggling? Well, I'm sure many of us here this morning are Christians. Many of us have been well taught, and we know the answer to who is Jesus, don't we? Jesus was the Son of God, fully God, fully man, himself God, closest relationship with the Father, came to live and die and be raised again. You know, we know the stuff. The Bible describes it in John 1.18. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son, who is himself God and is in the closest relationship with the Father, he has made him known. But there's a world of difference between knowing facts, isn't there, and knowing something in our hearts that changes our lives. You might be surprised to know that I know how to juggle. I can't do it. But I watched it on YouTube, and it, I, I saw it, all the movements. They're easy. But, but I tried it, and I can't do it. See, there's a difference between knowing and knowing in a way that changes how we are. You might be surprised to know that I have a degree in applied physics and electronics. And once I could explain to you how silicon chips work, but I've got to tell you, I can't mend your computer. It doesn't make much impact in my day-to-day -day life. I knew lots of facts, but it didn't make any difference in day-to-day -day life. And the disciples are on that journey from knowing stuff about Jesus, head stuff, to actually coming to realize who he really is who he really is in a way that will change their lives forever. And maybe you're on that journey here this morning. Maybe you're trying to find out who Jesus is. Maybe you're on that journey that Jill described this morning before she was baptized. You know, to some extent, whether you call yourself a Christian here or not this morning, we're all on that journey of discovering more about who Jesus really is. We could all do with a greater grasp of who Jesus is in our hearts. I need a fresh understanding, a greater understanding of who he really is. You see, the disciples have seen Jesus do incredible things. We've already said miracles, amazing things, healings, teaching. They've seen him speak to a storm in front of them, and it stopped. They've seen him. They've just actually helped him feed 5,000-plus people with next to nothing. They've experienced all these things. They've even actually done some of those things themselves. They've been out praying for the sick and doing all that sort of stuff. They've been involved, sent out by Jesus. But it seems that despite all of that, 
they haven't quite managed to process who Jesus really is. They don't get it that Jesus is God here in human form. They don't get it that Jesus is God walking among them. The penny hasn't dropped. They've misread the cues. They've forgotten some of the clues. And at first sight, when we look at this account, it, it, maybe it's surprising, it did surprise me, that, that Mark doesn't link this story with the storm on the lake. You'd think it was two sort of maritime stories, wouldn't you? But in verse 52, Mark links this story with the feeding of the 5,000. Why? Because the connection is about demonstrating who Jesus really is, not about where it happens. The feeding of the 5,000 is really about a demonstration of who Jesus is. Yes, Jesus had compassion on the crowd. Yes, he wanted to feed them. But his doing it should have triggered something in the disciples. They're good Jewish boys. They knew their Old Testament scriptures. They're good Jewish boys. They knew their history. And there's a famous chapter in their history, which is quite well known to us too, that the Jews wandered for 40 years in the desert. And every day God provided bread for them, manna, bread from heaven in a place where there was nothing every day. You see, the one who provides bread from heaven in the desert is God. And when Jesus did the miracle feeding the 5,000 in the desert, there's a hint. Do you get it? Who does that? Who does that? They should have known It's entirely in keeping with God, his nature, his character, and his power. But Mark tells us in verse 52 that they hadn't understood the significance of the feeding of the 5,000. They didn't get it. And their hearts were hardened. They were closed up somehow. Now, that's a bit of a sobering thing to say of Jesus' disciples, because actually that's the way he described those who opposed him. The Pharisees, the authorities, their hearts were hard. And yet he's saying it here of his disciples. Their hearts were too hard to get it. You know, that can happen to all of us, that we can have hard hearts. We can harden our hearts. We can allow things that happen to us. We can allow ideas. We can allow whatever, pride, to harden our hearts so that we We can't get what God is trying to say to us. I want to say to you this morning, let's be people with humble hearts. People with humble hearts who can receive Jesus for who he really is, not who we imagine him to be or who we think he is. So the disciples just didn't get it. But the good news is, there's a little phrase that we often get in the Bible, but God. The disciples didn't get it, but God is gracious. Isn't that great news? God is gracious, and Jesus, in his grace, decides to have another go, see if they can get it this time. Which leads me to my final question. Who is passing by? Who is passing by? Now, if that sounds like a strange question, I'll explain in a minute. 
Jesus is perfectly aware of what the disciples are going through. Don't know if you notice that in the reading. He sees them on the lake and then he just carries on praying. And about three o'clock, he decides he's going to go to them. And he sets out to them walking on the water. Now, certainly in my days, there was a, there was a time when as a football fan, you would hear fans chanting about their hero. Matt Letizier walks on water or whoever it was your hero at the time, singing about their heroes, people who could do no wrong, everything they did worked out, people who don't exist. (laughs) But it felt like that, and of course it's not true. So far as I know, Jesus is the only man that's ever walked on water. So what was that all about? Was he taking a shortcut? Was he doing a party trick? Look at this. We could try later on if you're feeling up to it. We'll take the covers off again. No, I don't believe it's any of those. Jesus is setting out to have another go at showing them who he really is by doing something else that only God could do. You see, just as God is the one in the Old Testament who feeds his people in the desert, God is also the one who walks on the seas. Look at this verse from Job. He alone, that's God, stretches out the heavens and treads on the waves of the sea. Nobody else does that. Jesus is going out of his way to reveal to them, to help them to see who he really is. He wants them to get it. Now, walking on water is an amazing miracle, but I have to say my attention is drawn and almost it overshadows it, to this puzzle about how Jesus goes about it. Because the way we read it, it seems to be that he sees them struggling, he comes to them in their difficulty, and he's going to pass by them. Now, I don't know about you, but if I'm in trouble and my friends see me and come to help me, I don't really expect them to come and pass by. It's a bit odd, isn't it? It actually reminds me, the first thing I think of when I hear that is the story of the Good Samaritan. Uh, Where where a story that Jesus told, where people who didn't have God's heart didn't help somebody, they actually passed by on the other side. So to me, passing by sounds like ignoring. That can't be right, can it? Well, if you search the scriptures, I think it might give us some illumination about this. We need to interpret Scripture in the light of all the rest of it. So let me see if I can convince you about this. You see, if you start to look in your Bible, there are other instances where God passed by. And it seems to me that when God passes by, it means something different to the passing by that I was thinking of. When God passes by, it seems to be an opportunity for him to reveal himself, for him to show who he is for people to reach out to him. When others pass by, it's ignoring. Let me take you to a couple of stories. Moses, in the Old Testament, made a cry and said, God, show me your glory. The Lord replied, I will make all my goodness pass before you, and I will call out my name, Yahweh, that's the I am name, before you. For I'll show mercy to anyone I choose, and I'll show compassion to anyone I choose. 
but you may not look directly at my face, for no one may see me and live. He's concerned for Moses' welfare, but he wants to answer his prayer. The Lord continued, look, stand near me on this rock, and as my glorious presence passes by, I will hide you in the crevice of the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I'll remove my hand and let you see me from behind, but my face will not be seen. God responds to Moses' cry by passing by so that he can reveal himself. There's another story in the Old Testament which you might know about Elijah, a great prophet who had a great victory and then was depressed, ran away, went into hiding. He needed an encounter with the living God. And he gets gets one. This is what God says to him. Go out and stand before me on the mountain, the Lord told him. And as Elijah stood there, guess what? The Lord passed by. And a mighty windstorm hit the mountain. Such a terrible blast that the rocks were torn loose. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, there was a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. After the fire... There was a sound of a gentle whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak. He went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And God spoke to him. Elijah, what are you doing here? It was a moment of encounter as God passed by. In Job, we see Job wrestling with God, in a sense, wrestling to understand. And, and how does he apprehend God? How does he contact, get in touch, connect with God? He says this, when he passes me by, I cannot see him. When he goes by, I can't perceive him. And yet we know that in the end he does connect with God. In the end he does see God. There are lots of other stories Let me just mention two others that you probably know. After Jesus was crucified, the disciples were heartbroken and scattered, and two of them set off on a journey to a place called Emmaus. And a stranger came and walked beside them and started to tell them all about what the Scriptures said about who Jesus was. And they get to where they're going, and the man who's with them, and they don't know who it is, makes out as if he's going to go on. And they say, no, 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 don't go on, come in with us. Isn't that beautiful? And as he comes in and breaks bread with them, they suddenly realize it's Jesus. He's been walking with them all this time and they didn't know it. But as they invited him in and called him to come with them, he reveals himself There's another famous Bible story. There was a blind man called Bartimaeus sat by the roadside, a beggar, and he suddenly hears a commotion, a lot of noise, crowd, whatever, and he says to those around him, what's going on? What's happening? And they say to him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. Oh, no. <laughs> what does that mean? Jesus of Nazareth is ignoring you? No, Jesus of Nazareth is passing close by. And he takes his chance. He shouts out, Jesus, have mercy on me. 
And in the end, Jesus comes to him and his sight is restored. Jesus passing by was an opportunity for those around to reach out to encounter him. Going back to our passage, Jesus is passing by the disciples. He is displaying the glory of God, walking on the water. But when they see him, they don't recognize him. They are absolutely petrified. And Jesus immediately moves to calm them. He immediately moves to reassure them as to who it is. Don't be afraid. The I am is here. Now, the I am is that Old Testament name for God. He's not just saying, I'm here. He's actually saying, I'm God, and I'm here. And despite the fact that they're crying out in terror, he responds and gets into the boat. I love that, you know. I, I don't know about you. It's what, it's what we commonly do with our children, isn't it? When our kids are distressed or upset or whatever, you hold them close and you say, it's all right. I'm here. I'm here. Daddy's here. Mummy's here. That's not much of an explanation, is it? But actually, it's all that they often need. Don't worry. I'm here. I'm here. And although there's an element of mystery about all these stories I've talked to you about, I think there's also something very moving and tells us, it tells us something about God. It seems to me that however poorly expressed our desire is, whether we cry out in fear or we know what we want, we want to need a healing or whatever, or we cry out in whatever way, God is wanting to provoke that cry in our hearts. God passes by so that we can call out to him and reach out to him. And there's something wonderful too about an all-powerful God who will never force himself on you, even though he could. That God draws near to us and longs for us to reach out in some way to him. But the choice is ours. The choice is ours. Jesus, talking over Jerusalem, said these words, How often I have wanted to gather your children together as a hen protects her chick beneath her wings, but you wouldn't let me. What an awesome choice we have to make. We can not let God gather us. We cannot we can choose not to reach out to him. I'd encourage you today, if you sense his presence, if you have felt maybe the gentle whisper of a voice of God speaking to you, maybe through circumstances, maybe through something that's been sung or said here this morning, whatever, if you sense that God is passing by, I encourage you, just reach out to him in your heart. You don't need to be eloquent. You don't need to have special language. Just reach out and say, God, I need you. God, if you're there, show yourself to me. God, help me. He is looking for the response of our hearts this morning. God is here today. And he is, as it were, passing by so that he can reveal himself to each and every one of us. Now, if you're a Christian here this morning, you might have a question. As Christians, Jesus said, I'll be with you always. I'll never leave you. My spirit is with you. 
And that's the truth. I want to encourage you that. That's the absolute truth. God is unchanging. His promises are true. He is always with us. And we need to keep hold of that truth. But our experience sometimes, and our enemy, the devil, can often suggest that that's not true. Our our experience can often suggest that Jesus is far away or not taking any notice, busy doing something else, maybe praying. It can feel like we're on our own in the boat, rowing hard into the headwind, putting a lot in but not getting a lot out. You know, the answer for all those situations is, is not what Jesus can do. It's who he is. See, the disciples had set out doing exactly what Jesus said. Get in the boat, go to the other side. They were smack bang doing what Jesus commanded them to do. And it was really, really hard work. Maybe that's you this morning. You're doing what God's called you to do, but it's hard work. You don't seem to be making much progress. You know, the disciples didn't need more commands or instruction. They needed the presence and an encounter with the living God. They needed the living God in the boat with them. And that's what he came to do. If you're battling a headwind in any way this morning, if you're struggling, I want to encourage you to hang on in there and look out for Jesus. Like the disciples, you may not recognize him when he comes if you're not careful. Like Elijah, he may not be in the earthquake or the fire. He may be in the still small voice. But look out for him. Be open. Don't let your heart be hard to hearing what God wants to say to you this morning. You know, sometimes... It's not that God needs to change our circumstances. It's sometimes that we need to encounter him in our circumstances. We need to walk with him through our circumstances. And he comes, he passes by. He's present here this morning, as it were, passing by so that we can reach out to him. Maybe you're here this morning and you're not yet a Christian. I'd encourage you, if you sense God's presence... Reach out to him. Ask him to reveal himself to you, to make himself known to you. Start a search. It could start this morning. may not end this morning. Start to search. Start to ask God to make himself known to you, to actually connect with you. There are lots of ways you can do that. You can ask him right now this morning. You can keep coming along here. We have something called Alpha, which we're going to be running again later in the year. Put your name down at the connect point. Look for him. Ask him to pass by near you so that you can touch him. Let's just take a moment of prayer. I'd like to pray for us. Thank you, Lord. Father, I want to thank you for Jesus as we've worshipped him this morning and who he is. Father, I want to pray for every single one of us here this morning. I want to pray for me. Lord, I need to know more of Jesus. I need my heart to get more of who he really is. And I thank you, Lord, that you, as it were, are passing by here this morning. You're here right now. 
And I want to pray, Lord, for every heart here. Lord, I pray against hardness in our hearts. I want to pray you would bring a softness to our hearts this morning. Lord, I want to pray you would open our eyes where we struggle to see. Lord, where people are struggling here this morning against a headwind, Lord. Maybe they're rowing hard. Maybe they're battling sickness. Maybe they're battling circumstances. Maybe they're battling their own thoughts, belief and unbelief. I pray in Jesus' name, Lord, that you would touch our hearts this morning and reveal yourself to us. Open our eyes. Pray in Jesus' name that scales would fall from our eyes so that we can see and that we can encounter you, the living Jesus, and that you, Lord, can get into our boat this morning that you, Lord, can make all the difference to our lives, Lord. Just move among us now, I pray. Holy Spirit, come and move among us in Jesus' name. Amen. I'd just like to invite you, we're going to close uh, with a music video, which I think could be a, an opportunity for you to respond. Uh, you probably don't know the song, but I just invite you, where you're sitting... Make your response to God. Actually, he is here. He is at hand. Reach out and touch him, I pray. Is is right. I feel your favor my life. Even in the good, I'll follow you. Even in the good, I'll follow you. Well, I wonder if you keep me safe. Even in the storms I follow you. Even in the storms I follow you.